This is the Your Church Friends Podcast, and we are back with Season 2. Join us as we sit down with some of our church friends to discuss these topics and more. What is worship? Can I trust God? How should I study my Bible? And popular Christian catchphrases. It's Season 2 of the Your Church Friends Podcast. Our church friends. Enjoy. Enjoy. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm Yurda. And it's part two of Q&A. We're here. Hey, how was your summer, by the way? We haven't sat down together since, like, June. My summer came and went very quickly. I had so much hopes for, like, oh, man, it's summer. Let's do. And I don't know what it was, just time compression. I cannot believe that it is now. That it's over? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what? I think I made it to the beach a couple times. I did, like, I don't know. I know you went on some trips and different stuff, but I yeah. feel like mine was just here briefly. It was a twinkle in my eye. I, I think, so we did a cross-country trip that was, like, two weeks long. I think it was 17 days in total. So we went from California to North Carolina down to New Orleans, back up to Texas, and then and then found our way home. But because that was, like, the beginning of our summer, like, the kids were out of school, and then that... Sunday or Saturday we took off and it just like it ate up the beginning half of of the year so coming back from that then we did a few other things but yeah I ended up getting sick and you got sick with uh the Rona the Rona got us and then that's another two weeks of your life that's basically gone so yeah summer did feel really quick like August is almost over and we're recording this in August it won't release until September but yeah, it's it's basically gone. And I know I said at the end of the last episode, like season three releasing in, in early August, but because we both got sick, I, that delayed some things. Yeah, unforeseeable circumstance, yeah. which I feel like is just life for everybody over the past couple of years. So thank you for understanding. Yeah, it was, uh, it was funny because I'm sitting here like, no, we're supposed to release episodes and I'm stressing out on it, right? And then I, I think wait, we dictate this. We control when things... Why am I putting so much pressure on myself? So here we are. We're back. Now, do you know why? Because there's just no grace right now. We're talking to one person. Our audience completely left. They said, you said it would be released now. No time. No, yeah, every, the the show is now <laughs> down to like negative listeners. I don't know. As far as I'm going, here, here we are. We're just talking. This is why we started it anyway. It's like, hey, let's have these good conversations. And for whoever time, chimes in, chimes in, tunes in. Yeah, that's the one. We'll so see. summer was good? It was good. And kind of my last hurrah is today. I'm leaving today with uh, the young adults from the church to go to Joshua Tree. I don't know if we have any out-of-state listeners, but Joshua Tree is the desert. And I checked the weather forecast. It'll be 103 degrees tomorrow oh, no. in the desert. And we went last year. It was a great time. And as soon as I saw the weather, I just went, I'm not sure if this is going to be as great of a time, but it will be. But that's kind of the last thing as far as summer-wise, I guess. So, yeah, I've, I get to go do one last summer. Yeah. Mine was last week. That was kind of the last summer hurrah thing. We went to uh, WWE SummerSlam. I didn't know if I was like, should I say the actual event? Would we get in trouble if I said the event? Do I want to even promote it? But anyway, I went, so I guess I might as well. That was that brief pause and what was going on in my head in that, uh, that time span. But, yeah, we, me, my brother, and uh, two friends drove up to Vegas, watched the show, and then drove all the way back home. So that was like my last hurrah. It was a pretty cool experience too. It was a lot of fun. We were really good seats. We got to see all the uh, wrestlers walk in and out through the entrance. But yeah, that's the last hurrah. Now the kids are back in school and I'm back into that. Justine is back 
working and uh, has kids at the school. So she's enjoying that again, actually being able to teach in the way she used to. And the kids are enjoying themselves in school, being in there in person. I know they have to wear the mask, but it doesn't seem to be bothering them. So I don't think I told you this. And we're gonna, I'm just going to drop it, and then we're going to move on because yeah. we have other things to get to. <laughs> but uh, we're going to pull out Casey and do homeschooling. Oh, really? Yeah, like pretty much this week. We're going to buy. hey, go say bye to all your friends and do that. And we're going to pull her out for we can have that conversation off there because there's a lot to it. She did seem to like enjoy the online presence. No, when, when she went back because she's been back for a couple of weeks, she was like, I she's like, I was kind of OK with Zoom and FaceTime and all that stuff. But it's really good to just be around all my friends. And pre- oh, like she okay. was really enjoying that. But uh, different things and just parenting decision. God laid it on both Delilah and I. And even when we talked to Casey, she was like, yeah, OK, let's do it. So it'll be good. This is, I'm, I'm honestly super excited about it. But yeah, I'm just going to drop that one in there because I know a lot of parents are going yeah. through that right now. I mean, just as far as what to do and how it goes. So all over the place, right? There you go. Bonus question. But I know every uh, every episode, you always catch me off guard because we start talking. You're like, I just have a question, couple of questions right off the bat. <laughs> like, dude, I didn't study for that. This, I'm unprepared. Cut out the dead silence. But this is just an episode of questions. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it. Let's go. All right. Part two. Oh, buddy, this is a fun one. Speaking in tongues, heavenly language or a known language? All right. So I can say this very confidently. Speaking in tongues, most definitely as a baseline, is speaking in a known language. So definitely there's that. I think that the question comes into, is it also heavenly language? Because you look in the Old Testament, anytime tongues gets brought up, it's a known language. You look at other times in the New Testament that are more clearly defined, it's a known language. Right, but then we get into some of the stuff in First Corinthians thirteen fourteen, where you know speaking in the t- in the tongues of angels that gets brought up, and it gets brought up that you know somebody speaks in tongues and they're edifying to themselves, but prophesying is edifying to other people and just you know different things that's going on. So it does bring it up as far as looking at scripture, but I think that in our day and age, just coming from a lot of the Pentecostal revivals and different things that happened around the 1900s and things like that, at least as far as America and what is this heavenly language, that's there. And I have a lot of friends who are kind of in that faith background, and I trust them on absolutely everything else, and they tell me that they speak in tongues, and some of them I've heard do it, and other ones I haven't, and... Anytime I hear anyone speak in tongues, it's generally everybody sounds the same. It seems to be the same kind of a thing. So I don't know why I would not trust them on it. Me personally, I know I'm just going off on, on an answer here, but younger, I very much was like, oh, it's a spiritual gift. That's a really cool thing. I'm hearing about other people. I'm going to, I desire the gifts. Like, let me pray. And I really sought God hard for it. I was praying for it. I remember one day just really, really seeking. I was, I was in the garage even. I just isolated myself in there. And I was praying, I was praying, I was praying for hours. And I was like, all right, God, I'm just like asking, let it come. Like, let me, let me just talk and like, let it come out. It didn't. And I tried to kind of like jumpstart it a little bit and kind of tried saying what I've kind of heard other people and stuff, but it just never flowed out. I've been in other situations to where kind of in revival situations and whatnot, where someone will lay their hand on my head and be like, all right, start speaking and start doing the tongues thing and start doing the whatever. And a lot of times I was like, yeah, it's not happening. Other times people have been pretty pushy, so... I'm sorry, confession time. I've I've just uttered nonsense <laughs> a couple times. But that's the weird thing and where it kind of like makes me question because the person praying for me was just like, see, there it is. And like the spirit and just like there's no real confirmation. Yeah. Like I'm just I know that I literally could just speak nonsense and somebody believed it. So it, it, it is a uh, an interesting thing to look at. 
for me with this answer it's it's an interesting dynamic dynamic because i grew up in a pentecostal church and then now have spent a majority of my life not a majority but a good chunk of years uh, in a baptist church so i really do consider myself when i would put like what denomination am i I would consider myself, and we've talked about this, Baptocostal, because mm-hmm. there are things in the Pentecostal thing that I like. There are things in the Baptist. But growing up at the Pentecostal church, I really there was no real interesting differences between there to coming to a Baptist church. I really didn't see the differences, but there were moments where people were speaking in tongues. And again, it's like, how do we, how do we know what, what's right and what's wrong? Is it this or that? So my thoughts, and again, I'm going to say my thoughts because... Like we said the last episode, these are us just kind of answering questions. So there could be a little bit of heresy inside of some of our answers, but these are just what we've studied. A little bit of humanity in Huma- our answers. There, that's probably the better answer. <laughs> uh, but there's well, from what I've studied and gathered from my thoughts, uh, is it a heavenly language or an earthly language? Uh, yes and yes. The, and the way I look at it is this. Can it be a heavenly language? Yeah. And you brought up 1 Corinthians, uh, so 1 Corinthians 13.1 is, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So Paul kind of addresses it as both, but what he gets down to it and what I look at it is is always the idea and the concept of test the spirit absolutely. Mm-hmm. That we, we, we just don't listen to someone and think, oh, they're spiritual because they're speaking in tongues. It's like anything, whether someone's preaching, teaching, or, or any worshiping and leading a worship that we test the spirit, we see uh, where they're at and, and go from there. And that's what I love about that verse right there is that Paul kind of leaves it vague, right? Like it could be languages of men, which you get into Acts where they were filled with the spirit and speaking in tongues and then people in every other nation and tribe were like, I understand them. They're speaking my language. But then he also says, or of angels. And then he pushes that aside and said, that's not the point. Mm-hmm. The point is, if they don't have love, then it's just noise. And I love your story that you're talking about, like where people were laying hands on you. are like, yeah, I could just utter some nonsensical sounds. But what you were doing was that right there. It wasn't with love. It was just noise. And so it was a, a, a clanging cymbal or a gong. Yeah, that's a good point. And bringing it back to, to love, because uh, at the end, you know, the gifts will fall away and all those things will fall away, but that love will be there. And that should be the driving force. I think that even back then when I was younger, I was desiring the gifts not out of like love. Because even there in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 2, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. And to me, that's really like where I can't fully discount, you know, the experiences that some people have. When I look historically, and again, look back to it was around late 1800s, the 1900s, as far as this thing kind of popping up, is like historically, it's like, well, what was happening before then? And I'm pretty skeptical of a lot of things just naturally. But I see that that's an open door there to, all right, if you're speaking mysteries by the Spirit, and we have people that are doing stuff, but if we're able to come together, is Jesus Lord? Are you operating yeah. out of love? Is there stuff in your life that um, if there's conviction, is there repentance? Can we can we come together around those things? Because there's even besides tongues, there's so many different things. And we're going to talk about denominations later. It's like, man, I, I personally don't let that become a dividing point. I am aware of it, though, because I've been involved in some stuff in my past um, and even just on the spiritual side of things to where there are other spirits that can move in people 
to where whether it's like the whole slain in the spirit laying on the ground doing stuff or like shaking and just different noises and stuff coming out of somebody that i know that that can come from a negative spiritual place too so like you said test the spirits and i think that that's super important that we're testing the spirits even people who speak in tongues like test it see that you have nothing to be afraid of like if you're just seeking god make sure that that's what it is and if it is then you know, I'm I'm nobody to, to force you otherwise. But I was laughing when you're talking about speaking nonsense because it came to mind. I just watched a TikTok and this guy was going through the story of just like he was at his church and they were really waiting for a move of God and all this stuff. And he goes, I'm sorry, I was just like, I was a punk kid when I was younger. <laughs> He's like, so I stood up and I just went, Shamala Hamala. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he said the whole everybody popped on it and the pastor was just like, this is the word we've been waiting for because they were wanting the, the gift of tongues to, to break out. So he's like, like all kinds of people were popping out Shyamalan. <laughs> and he was just laughing. He's like, I wonder what that would be to get to heaven when you see Jesus just like Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I have an uh, interesting story and then we'll move on to the next question. Again, growing up Pentecostal, I remember a service where a, a guy, so we would have our worship time and then music would just, this is like one of the differences. And it just may just be a church difference thing. But uh, we would have worship, sing, and then afterwards the the worship leader would just play music. So mm-hmm. music would be playing and people would be praying. And one guy started speaking in tongues. And so he's just speaking the Shamala Hamala and all that other stuff that, that goes on with it. And then he stopped and another guy stood up and said, I understood that. That's an ancient language that I'm studying, mm. and this is what he said. I've heard that a couple times too. That it's unknown to mm-hmm. us, but it is a known language. Yeah, thing. yeah. And so it's it's kind of interesting too, because even with Paul, he writes, "If no one there is to interpret it, then mm. you know, save it. Don't just do it." So I think there are some guidelines to tongue speaking that we're not really following. We're kind of just giving into the like, it is this, but. When Paul is kind of laying some of this out, it is like, hey, here's how we have orderly worship. And orderly worship is important. So uh, unless you got anything else, I'm going to move on to the next question. And we could hop on a few of those real quickly. No, I like how you brought that up because I've kind of been joking around about it. But I've been in some of those prayer times and it's super powerful to where honestly there was no interpretation. But I was in a room and I felt the presence of the spirit. And that's also a thing that like I know what that is. And to be around people who are speaking in tongues and that's happening, like I can't, like I have an experience that, okay, you can, we can talk about how we want to split it and stuff, but I don't really know how to deny that experience. But like you said, the orderly rules for stuff, because for as many times as I've heard people speak in tongues or been in services or whatever, very, very rarely is there that person that comes with the interpretation, at least as far as my experience with stuff. Your church might be different, you know, on how things go. But for the most part, there is just a lot of speaking and not really the coming to it, which I think that that's another thing that Paul says, hey, if an outsider comes in, they're going to think you're out of your minds. Mm-hmm. So so there's that. That's our thoughts. Uh, next one. Will we see loved ones in heaven? What do you think? I just went for scriptural references. So I, the first one that popped into my mind when I read this question was David. When uh, the infant child of his died, uh, David said in Samuel 2.12, uh, when David's infant child died, David confidently said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And so I know it's one verse and you can look at it and be like, well, context wise, I mean, he's, he's mourning for the child he had just lost because of the sin he had committed. But in that statement alone, I kind of look at that where David is understanding, I'll go to him, uh, but he can't come to me anymore. And then um, I think it's Matthew 8, 8 through 12. 
The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, am a, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell you, this one go, and he goes. And I tell that one come, and he comes. And I say to this servant do, and he does. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following, Truly I tell you, I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Uh, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom uh, of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. So with that one, I looked at it and he's like saying, addressing like there's going to be a feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's knowing someone in heaven, kind of the way I look at it. But the David one is really the one that stands out to me as when we get to heaven, yes, we'll see our loved ones. But me and Justine were recently talking about this, and the kind of thought then that flowed into my head was, because a lot of times when there's, you know, ceremonies for someone who had died, it's, it's the, like, we'll see them again, we'll, we'll meet with them again. Well, my cousin was, when he passed away, that wasn't a, a reassuring feeling, because I think here on earth, when we spend the rest of our lives without seeing that individual that we were so close with, there's that missing and that lack. And the idea and the concept that I get to see them again makes me feel a little bit better while I'm here. But the reality is, when I get to heaven, I, I kind of feel like, and again, I don't know where this answer stands biblically, but I'm just going to say it. I don't think I'm going to even care if I see that person or not. Like, I love my wife and I love my children, but the whole goal of getting to heaven is to be completely immersed in the presence of God. And when I look at heaven scripturally, a lot of it is just being in the presence of God. So... Would we, will God be gracious enough to be like, here's your, and put us at least close enough in proxy to our loved ones and be like, here, now enjoy worship together with, with, a, in my presence? I hope so. But ultimately, I think the end of it all is that I get to be in his presence. Yeah. And we had that pretty deep conversation on that the other night, just yeah, about really being in God's presence. And that's there's, and, the, and, I get where you're coming from because I've had those same thoughts when somebody asks Jesus and poses the whole question about this woman's married to this person, this person, this person, this person. They keep dying. So when they finally make it, like, who is she married to then? And Jesus says, well, no, there won't be given in marriage and all that. It would be like the angels. My very loose paraphrase of what <laughs> happens, you know. We, we have the internet at our fingertips. Go, go read the story. It's a good one. But looking at that, I've, I've, I've also considered, he's like, okay, whole life with my wife of just like being knit together into being one person. And then I get to heaven and it's just like, where is she at? And kind of in understanding, you know, I've come to the same thing. And it's just even the same with God and his judgment and everything else. It's that I trust God that whatever it's going to be is going to be right. And it will be better than anything that I could come with. So on the baseline, it's just like, I know that I don't need to worry and like you said, there can be some comfort as far as, like, oh, but if I'm going to see him, then you can comfort yourself that way. To me, that might be a lesser comfort than just trusting God that it'll be right. But that's even a hard thing for me to do because on one level, I can go, oh, theologically, I think this. But on the other level, like, no, I love my wife. Like, I want to be able to have that. I love my daughter. I want to be able to have that. So coming the other way to it, just God is so much about family that that's the basis of our life here on earth is the family unit he relates to us as a father he you know all of these things that were and you quoted to get invited to the feast and just like all of these different things that i think that family is so important that we will know and recognize our family now what that looks like and how that goes i don't know but even as far as i don't understand how we could be resurrected into our own self you know in a glorified state or whatever and that that would be for all eternity, and that everybody would be in that state, and either 
heaven is so vast that you just never run into anybody again. Or God wipes your memory with the little men in black like pen. And he's just like, <laughs> cool, you had that experience. Now you don't know anybody, but like, you know, everything's good. I really, I don't see it that way. And part of my thing is uh, the witch of Endor, right? Are you familiar yeah, with that? Yeah, yeah. Right? So Saul goes, he's tripping out. He goes to a witch to do some whole necromancy stuff and doing all that, which is completely against everything. And she calls upon the prophet and the prophet comes and shows up and, you know, there's a full communication going there. And prophet is still the prophet, still recognizes Saul, Saul, you know, and the whole thing to where it's just all of the past knowledge of everything and who those people are is still there. I know it can be figurative, but there's also scripture to talk about, like, I'm going to go be with my fathers when it's talking about, you know, dying and going into the grave. So a lot there. I personally think that, yes, we will know people. How that goes about as far as relationally, I think that it will be the best relationship you could ever have with that loved one. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I like that. Uh, let's go to the next one. Is heaven real? Your turn. You get to start off with this. Oh, yeah. Did you read the book? <laughs> <laughs> Simple answer, yes. Read the book, watch the movie, right? Yeah. I like Hebrews 9.24 is a good thing for me. For Christ did not enter a man-made copy of the true sanctuary, but he entered heaven itself now to appear on our behalf in God's presence. So right there we see the author of Hebrews talk about heaven right there that christ didn't enter in some man-made thing but he entered into the authentic presence and and into heaven and then of course i mean most of revelation at the tail end is talking about new heaven and heaven and jesus i believe spends more time preaching i could be wrong but he spends more time preaching about the kingdom and heaven than than most things so those lead me to believe that yes heaven is real yeah for me just i've had to grapple with you know, just we're humans, we're in 2021, and just looking at the spiritual thing of heaven, and if you've grown up in the church, you kind of get shown movies or whatever it is, and you just have a general idea, whether you're in the church or not in the church, because all media everywhere knows about this heaven place, right? And they portray it in different ways. I'm even open, and more that I think about it is almost like it's this, like I could see it as just being like a different realm or reality or universe type thing to use our more common type of language i know that in my brain growing up heaven was that place that like you it's up that you go to and like whatever that is when i look at angels just like suddenly appearing in the sky or doing different stuff and just the interactions and what we can look at in quantum physics and just like layering and whatnot it's like yeah i'm fine with it being whatever it is you know obviously something's going around on around me that i can't see that beings can pop in and out of so is that like an alternate reality that's layered on top of ours you know whatever it is i don't need it i actually would really really dislike it being floating around on fluffy clouds that sounds so <laughs> boring to me and i don't think that it would be that so yeah heaven is real i do think an interest that you brought up revelation is that and this is something that i'm studying into because i know that there's a whole push of like well we go to heaven but we have a resurrected body and when you're looking there that god recreates the heavens and the earth and that you have the holy city coming down to the earth. So it's like, do we enter into this other place? Or are we resurrected still in a physical place? And, and mm. how that goes to... And there's a few scholars that kind of get into that. But it's interesting. But again, whatever it is, yes, there there is an afterlife. We call it heaven. I'm sorely lacking in details really about what all of that looks like. But looking forward to it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, last verse that I'll quote with this, and then we can move on to the next one. Uh, Mark sixteen nineteen. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he went up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So 
right there. There's no more better definition or answer. It's right there in scripture. So like you said at the beginning, have you read the book? Yes. If you haven't read the book, spoiler alert, yes. All right, next one. The difference between the Old Testament versus the New Testament. I'm going to throw it out there that I ne- I'm not sure that I necessarily like the fact that we look at it that way. Yeah. Because um, even within the Old Testament, when you look at the way that things have been looked at since forever, you have the books of the law and you have the prophets and you have like the different writings that's in there. And like that's the different writings that compose the Old Testament. And it's almost like when we say this is Old Testament, this is New Testament, there's a separation that seems to happen there when you're flipping through your Bible and there's that white page and then it says New Testament and you go that it's almost like for a lot of people, it's a block that, oh, no, we're just fully in the New Testament. So the old one is old. Like, why would you keep an old? Like, you know, and just when I talk to a lot of Christians, there's that. I really like more of looking at maybe, I don't know if you go to like, say, the first century writings or something like that or the Gospels and the letters and, and something to really just talk about it with what it is because I really don't like the the wall that's been built from calling it Old and New Testament and a lot of people don't go through that wall even though there is no wall. It's an open door. We should know about our faith and where it comes from and everything else. So on one hand, there's just that. That's my own personal thing. The biggest thing though is you're looking at covenants. You're looking at the Messiah coming and the covenant that he enacts that's really what marks the new testament starting you know jesus comes and he dies on the cross and he's resurrected and all of humanity is ushered into this thing i know that that's a gross oversimplification but that's kind of for me the defining thing that sets the new testament apart i don't know what's your thoughts Uh, my thoughts are i think i said this in season one when we were looking at the sermon on the mount and I, i read a quote from somebody i don't remember who it is but the statement was the old testament without the New Testament is like running a race on one leg. You know, you need both to be able to run the race. And when we look at look at it, we I think nowadays people want to separate the new and the old because when they look more at the New Testament, it's Jesus, it's love, and it's all that stuff. And they t- see the, you know, God of the Old Testament is, you know, there's a lot of strike down and stuff happening to people. But it is one perfectly woven story from the beginning of the end of Jesus and the redemption story of what he was going to do for us. And I, I think if we look at every story of the Bible, like David, David's a great one, where we look at David and Goliath, and people will preach this, that like, be like David, be strong and courageous and fling your stone into the enemy. Well, that's nice, and that's going to encourage me. But the reality of it is that David's versus Goliath isn't a story of be like David. It's Jesus was David. And Jesus conquered the unconquerable thing in our lives, which was sin and death. And he took that away and defeated the foe. And not just defeated him, but beheaded him. And so there it is right there. The gospel presented to us in that story. And I just used one illustration, but that's it's throughout the whole Bible of the Old Testament. It's Jesus-based, Jesus-based. Then we get the follow-up of, now here's Jesus. And without the Old Testament, you don't have the statement of Jesus came to fulfill the law. Because in the Old Testament are all the promises. And then here are the promises fulfilled, which makes God even more sweeter. Uh, Tozer wrote this, A.W. Tozer, and I really loved it. He said, The word of God well understood and religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. 
Nothing less than the whole Bible can make a whole Christian. And what a great statement, right? Like if we try to pick apart the Bible and take out what we like and or what we dislike and only highlight what we do like, then we're not going to be a whole Christian. We're, we're going to be missing some parts. Man, you are always so good with the quotes. I think that I should just, whenever we have Q&A, you're like, Chris, go find quotes that are good answers <laughs> to all these things. Right. And just lead with those. And if you want, you don't even need to let other people know that they're quotes. You can just sound amazing. But yeah, the, the whole thing. And just to even shape our, our minds, like like you were talking about, without the Old Testament, we don't have the law. We don't have the promise. We don't have that. Jesus came. His scripture was the Old Testament. The disciples' scripture was the Old Testament. When they talked about scripture, that's what they were talking about. They hadn't even written those letters yet. I don't even know if when they wrote those letters, they were thinking, oh, I'm writing Bible. They were just writing to churches, right? And and that going on, which is where we live, because, hey, we're a church and we're Christian, so it, it's, it's there. But to get the same understanding that they were coming from, yes, we should know, know the Bible. Uh, I, I like how you brought that on, though, just reading Jesus into it. Because, yeah, everything points to Jesus. And especially, cool, we can highlight David as this great guy. He's not as great as Jesus. Yeah. For all of his leadership and kingliness and all of his stuff, I was like, dude, it was a mess. David, mess. David was looking forward to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I'll touch on one last thing, and then we'll go to our break. You brought about that they would read the law. So when, when Jesus goes in, in the book of John, and he meets Nathaniel and Philip, and I believe it's Nathaniel who's sitting under... Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, we've met the Savior. He's from Nazarene. And he's like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? And then Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, there, Nathaniel, there's a, an Israelite of all Israelite where you can't find deceit in him. Right? And if we could go even deeper into like the story of Israel, the Israelites became Israel because of Jacob turning his name into Israel. Jacob's name meaning deceiver, hill grabber. It's like this whole deep thing, right? But um, Jesus then tells him, I saw you before Philip came, you were sitting under the fig tree. And one of the things that they were taught to do when they were like studying was go under sit underneath the fig tree. And when you did that, it would be to read the word. So it, it was a thing that they did was read and study the Old Testament. So if, if the people who kind of shaped the New Testament studied the old, why do we think we don't need it in our Christian life? I know you said that that was the last thing. I yeah. really liked everything you said there. And then I'm going to say this, and unless you decide to add another last thing <laughs> to my last thing, uh, I know that a lot of people really disagree with the Old Testament and even how you brought it. Oh, Jesus is all love and all this stuff. And the Old Testament, like God is not. And I'm just really point out to people that feel that way. And it was a realization I came to. So I was like, oh, you know, I'll share, I'll share this one wherever I can. When he taught in the synagogues and wherever he went, he quoted from the Old Testament and the fact that he was there, if there was anything that was wrong there that shouldn't have happened, that, you know, had been screwed up along the way or whatever, he had the opportunity to set that record straight, and he didn't. You know what I mean? So for just like, if I'm going to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and that everything that he said and did was true, he accepted the Old Testament. And that's what his working knowledge came from and like what he taught from and everything. So that then allowed me to go back into the old testament with some of the struggle parts and go okay well he didn't correct this he didn't mm-hmm. say this was a mistake so i might not understand it i also wasn't alive 4000 years ago you know so i don't understand everything and i think like people look at the old testament and they'll look at let's say the 10 commandments and they're like the 10 commandments that's the old covenant so i don't need to follow that but when you get into the sermon on the mount what we looked at in our first season was jesus took the 10 commandments and amplified them 
He said, no, no, you were told don't murder someone. That's breaking the law. I'm telling you, if you call someone a fool because you're angry, if you call them stupid because you're angry, you've now broken that commandment. You know, if you just don't don't cheat on your, your spouse, you know, don't commit adultery, that's an action. I'm telling you, if you look with the intent and thoughts come across your mind, you've already broken that commandment. So he doesn't, right before he even gets to a lot of that, you know, doesn't abolish the law. He amplified it to say, those were those standards. I'm telling you, live by higher ones. To be my kingdom people, to be my disciples, you got to amplify them. So let's go to the break, and then we'll come back and we'll tackle denominations, cults, tribulations, and more. Hey, Casey, what are you doing? Hi, Remy. I'm just looking for a new podcast to listen to. All the ones I listen to now are pretty boring. There's this new podcast out called Your Church Friends. It's pretty interesting and sometimes funny. I think I heard about that podcast from someone else who said it was good. I think I'm going to check it out. You should, and if you like the podcast, you can also get their website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. It has all their old episodes on there, plus a link to their shop where you can buy their cool t-shirts for a reasonable price. Wait, are these the same guys who do the 5 Minutes with Your Church Friends videos on YouTube? Yes. Oh good, I'm a subscriber to the channel and already really enjoy those videos. I always make sure to like them, leave a comment, and share them with my friends. Me too. Are you also part of their social media accounts, like the Facebook group page? No, but I see the website has a link to that as well. Do you know why it's yourchurchfriends.rocks? Yeah, it's because they rocks. We are back from our break, and we have a question here that just says denominations, question mark. And then I, I was almost looking at our notes because the next question says, what makes a cult a cult? I'm like, are these two things tied together? They could be, right? <laughs> but yeah, denominations, thousands of them. What's going on? Denominations. Uh, we, we had mentioned a few because we're a part of a denomination and I grew up in another denomination. So there's Pentecostal and there's Baptist. And what separates denominations from denominations is uh, little, I would call them secondary issues. So for a church like a Pentecostal church, it is very much the spirit speaking in tongues is a heavenly language. That's one thing. And then other churches, they don't consider it that. So they split and became their denomination. And then we have non-denominational churches. And there's Methodist, Lutheran, more and more and more. Yeah, like you said, thousands of them that even break up from the, the main ones that break into little, little ones. So denominations so they're all secondary issues split us into things well not all of them i know there are some that don't believe that the trinity is god three in one and they think of it as three separate or um it's three he can be one at, at any time he wants to type thing it's, I think it's that's weird. called modalism yeah i yeah. could be wrong fancy word that i don't know but when i look at it when i really look at denominations when i get into what are they uh, I do have certain issues with them, and uh, so this would be more of a personal statement. It's not anything that I'm going to say is defined biblically, but denominations are just so painful to the church because of what they've created. They've created division. 
they divided us into things. And I honestly feel this is that denominations are idols, that we would rather lift up our doctrine as the biblical answer than actually looking to the Bible for the biblical answer and actually studying to see where God leads us. And people do hold their denominational title as very high and prestigious. Now, I know even within answering that, that is a it is an older kind of generation that is heavy into the denominations. But when it comes to today, like denominations aren't looked at as important. But once you get into the church, you start seeing that, oh, I'm, I'm actually a part of a denomination that I didn't even know. And the doctrines of those denominations can can be idols. We talked about the last the last Q&A, women pastors. There are denominations that don't allow for that. And there are some that do. And, and there are some that have changed. And there, yeah, there are some that have changed. So ultimately, to me, there, a lot of it is secondary issues that do separate us. And the big problem for me, again, this is my own personal feeling with denominations, is that they do not unify, they divide, they separate us. And what separation and division does is makes us weaker. I think even if we feel certain ways about scriptural things, we as a church should be able to come together in love. And love should be our driving thing that keeps us together no matter what. And we're getting into topics. We're, two of them right now are, are one is like the tribulation and the rapture. You know, there are denominations that believe the difference between the three, post, ma, mid, or, or At every pre, place on the spectrum. And yeah, and everywhere between. And that's what caused them to, to, to go somewhere else and start their own thing. But these things, they're not, they shouldn't be valued. I guess that's why I say they're idols. I feel like these things are valued way more than what the gospel actually is in our lives. I hear what you're saying about kind of the older generational thing and like the denominations being such a, a, a stronger hold there. And in ways I can see it as being good. I can also see the benefits where things are lax now because with things being lax, there's just been the multiplication of denominations and there is no real accountability. You just have people, I'm going to go start at my church. And what do you believe? I believe what I believe. And this is how I read the Bible. And this is where we're at. Or at least within denominations, it's like, if you're calling yourself a Baptist church, there's kind of a guideline between what a Baptist church is, that if you're going to another state, another country, or another city or whatever, and you go to a Baptist church, you can kind of know that, hey, if I'm going to go sit under teaching, I believe this to be sound teaching. So I get the usefulness to it in the same way that like labels are really useful. But I find personally that life is far more nuanced than labels, right? And it's, it's easy for if you understand the label, then you can talk really quickly without defining everything, right? So if you were just trying to go, oh, somebody who roughly believes this, like, okay, that's an Anabaptist. Oh, what about this? That's a Lutheran, you know, but I think that we live in a day today to where things are just nuanced and being able to get into that for all the danger that's there. I know I can't tell you where I heard it, but somebody was pondering, I wonder if Luther could have known that the amount of splits that would happen in the church if he still would have gone and did what he did to break off from the Catholic Church. Because up until that point, it was pretty much just like Catholic. There's also Orthodox. There's also some Anabaptists. And like There were some different groups. You know, it wasn't just fully all Catholic, but for the most part. And then once in the 1500s, that split happened and the Reformation that came out and then split and then split and then split. And that's just been what from 1500s till now, just split upon split upon split. And like you said, I don't think that it's healthy. Because a lot of those splits, I know that you're saying that a lot of them are secondary issues, but that's within like common kind of families of denominations. 
there's a lot of people that would say, oh, the Catholic Church and go way off on the Catholic Church on stuff that they do and not realize, oh, well, the Orthodox Church does a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. And then so do a lot of the denominations that are close to that but are more on the evangelical side. You know, that for a lot of people, if you actually were to ask it, if they think that, oh, that's a Catholic thing, they'd be fully against it and they go, no, it's actually the church down your street. They're like, oh, you know, just a lot of divisions, a lot of judgment, a lot of stuff coming off of that. Personally, where I come to, this is my verse that just comes to it, is 1 Corinthians 3, first five verses, because it really just is like how I want to talk to people who make denominations such a big deal. I think that sound doctrine is a big deal, but I think to be honest about there are different ways that this can be read, and we need to come to a point of unity of working together and allow some difference. <laughs> Paul comes in, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, you are infants in Christ. I had to give you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. In fact, you're still not ready, for you're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and dissension among you, are you not worldly? Are you not walking in the way of man? For when one of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you've believed, as the Lord has assigned to each his role. I planted a seed, Apollos watered it, watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. He who plants and he who waters are one in purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Right? And that's where you see it's just like, oh, the Reformation, you have Luther, and you have Calvin, and you have all this stuff, and when the uh, Church of Christ got started up and... My recommendation is go and learn about the body because you will find things in all of these denominations that you don't find in your own denomination and you'll like them. I love studying the different denominations because I didn't learn those things growing up as a Baptist. I didn't learn them going to a Baptist Bible college, you know, and just different stuff. And there's a lot of stuff in, in Orthodoxy that I really like. There's a lot of stuff in Anglican churches that I really like that just don't exist in my normal Sunday world of, of worship, right? So I highly recommend learn more about them. You're going to find stuff that's biblically. It'll stretch your thinking about things. It'll just even make you more accepting of people in different denominations rather than, like, oh, they believe that thing. Well, what do you know about it? I don't know. I just know it's wrong. Like, okay, that's ignorant. And I like that you said that because it's, it's how do you know it's wrong? <laughs> yeah. Oh, because the church I grew up in has told me it, and I didn't really put the time in myself or the energy or the resources to do it, and I, and I think so. Again, growing up Baptist or Pentecostal, and then now be serving in a Baptist church, the one thing I found was when I came here, my dad w- was telling me, "Well, you know, the da 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 da, they don't believe this, this, and this." You know, like oh, I was like, "Okay," and when I came here, I was like, "This is the same thing." I found more commonality than I did really the differences. The big ones are like Jesus is is God, and born of a virgin birth, and all those other ones, the Bible is the Bible, right? That all the, that commonality is still there. And I, going to what you were saying right now, I think if we did put more time and remove the judgmentalness of they don't think this or they don't think that, remove the idol of what our denomination is, and go and sit in other churches that aren't our denominations, we would see more in common than we would see in the differences, and that would unify us a lot better. And I liked also, you touched on... um labels so when me and justine got married we didn't have a lot of finances so when we would go grocery shopping you know we wouldn't buy like fruit loops we would buy loop fruits or whatever you know the the great value which is uh walmart's brand of fruit loops 
And then when you go into looking into it, you realize it's the same thing. They're just putting it in another bag, which makes it way cheaper. But it's the same thing. It's just a different box and a different label, but it's very similar, right? And you were saying that like with, you know, if you went from here, grew up Baptist and you moved somewhere else, you would go to another Baptist church and realize, oh, it's the same thing because they're cut from the same cloth. So we then wanted to cook some some steak. And for Justine, it, steak needs A1 sauce. So again, being on a lower budget, we got the great value A1 sauce brand. That's when I realized that there is a difference <laughs> in the labels and what's in the bottles because that A1 or great value brand did not taste like A1. There was a, there was a difference of taste. So even going to things where like, okay, just because you're Baptist, I, you're totally in line with everything I think. That's where we have to test the spirit even going back to what i said earlier about tongues test the spirit because without testing the spirit we could just foolishly walk into something that may not be beneficial for us and within that i think that anybody who is a new christian when you're young you don't know enough to know so you you are kind of under the leadership and under you know the teaching that's there um but at a certain point we're supposed to mature to the point to where we should be reading the bible for ourselves we should be seeking these things and exposing ourselves to different and there's a I don't think it exists so much anymore, but there's this huge thing in the past, like don't expose yourself to other teachings because it's dangerous and it's all this stuff. But I think that especially within the different denominations, especially those that have been around for such a long time, it's like they're known entities. They are still accepted within the body of Christ generally. Even the fact of saying denomination, like if you think about denomination, the way that's used today is in our money. Everything is a dollar, but the denomination is what is that piece of paper? It's one, it's yeah. five, it's ten, it's different denominations. Oh, okay, we're all Christian. Yeah. That's just a different denomination. I don't know. But we're all one and the same. And we should look at, I think we should look at it more that way and, and come into more of a united love than focus so much on our separations. And before we get the comments, yes, there are some that are off the wall and they're heretical and there's all of that stuff. So be smart. Have a council of friends that you can bounce things off of. Don't just dive into something and then before you know it, you're in a cult, which I think leads us to the next question. Yeah, and which it was why I said test the spirit. Like be a Berean. We've, we've said this so many times within our podcast. Be a Berean. Even when they heard Paul, they were like, let's make sure he lines up. Like I know everyone's saying he's the great biblical speaker right now and he's the guy who knows what we should be doing, but let's check the scripture first. And if you're not doing your due diligence, then that's how you then, yeah, you get sucked into weird things like a cult. I, I had a friend. I'll start off with this story, and then I'll let you answer it. I had a friend who uh, he went to the the Christian uh, Christian group at the college he went to. And they they got together, and he was like, yeah, these people were really cool. Like, I really enjoyed being around them. Was it the Mother of God cult? I have no idea what okay, it was. Okay, because they're really yeah. popular on, on Christian campuses. But this is the part where... Uh, they get to the end and they're, they're kind of seen together. And he said that we all prayed and it was really cool. But then at the end, they all started chanting, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. And he was like, they did this for what felt like an hour. It was probably like less than that, maybe 10 minutes. But he was like, I then felt like I was part of a weird cult. Like this was so weird to me. Uh, and so he, he walked out. I don't think he ever joined their, that meeting again. But because of the, that, yes, Jesus repeating for like over 20 minutes or so, he, he felt weird with this. So what makes a cult a cult then? We can just jump over to Merriam-Webster. One of the definitions is a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. 
or another one, a great devotion to a person, idea, object, movement, or work, a system of religious beliefs, and a ritual, right? So kind of within that, what makes a cult a cult is definitely where we're looking at that unorthodox coming in and the great devotion normally to a person or an idea. We see that coming about that there's normally the cult leader. Think of any cult that's ever popped up in like history as we know it. There was the dude that was leading it and he mm-hmm. was the enigmatic person that drew everybody in. Or they're coming around this idea of, I know that different cults have been like, oh, their ideas of the end times or the different things. So yeah, for me, it really draws in around that. Honestly, though, the word cult is pretty benign. And I think that that was in the, the third definition that I had, a system of religious beliefs and ritual. If you were to look at um, a lot of scholarly work, they'll talk about the Israelite cult. Because technically, it's the correct definition if you weren't to come from a, hey, I'm a Christian or I'm a Jew and I believe this thing. It's here's a religious belief and they have these rituals that they do. They're literally slaughtering animals for the forgiveness, like, you know, to to cover their sins. And they're doing all these things off grain offerings and everything. So you have religious belief plus this. So in the technical scholarly term, that's what it is. But in the way that I think that we're talking about it is when it goes unorthodox into, oh, this is a bit weird there you know, manipulating people. There's a ton of manipulation coming in. Huge thing that tends to be involved in all of them is just sexual stuff. Yeah. There was just one recently, whatever that girl was from Smallville, the blonde. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nexium, I think it was called. Yeah. That her and another guy were just like getting all these girls and they were tattooing them and stuff. So kind of what makes a cult a cult? Uh, I don't know how to really nail that one down, but weird stuff going on (laughs) when the stuff gets weird but that's the thing you don't know that it it really has that drawing it in in the control to where a lot of times they'll prey on people who need closeness they're isolated already or whatever or they're just easily impressionable and all that and it's like by the time that you realize i should be getting out of this thing the pressures to stay in or the threats or the whatever it's already outside of your control or you're just honestly to use the term, you drank the Kool-Aid, you are so involved that this is what reality is that you're just blinded to how crazy it all is. Yeah, I, I remember growing up the Haley's Comet cult. I don't know, if, was that out down in San Diego or was that up north in like Seattle? Uh, either way, uh, it was one place, but like the Haley's Comet was coming and they believed that if they took their own lives, they would get aboard the comet that yeah. would take them to whatever. But I did like when you said that because I remembered um, when you said the idea that usually there's a figure, there's a leader that just is very persuasive and leads everyone, that that, that was the thing, that, that that leader there just had persuaded them all to, to do that. And they all drank something, laid in bed, and all passed away wearing the same outfit, the same uniform. Yeah, those Nike Cortezes. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was, right? The Nikes. And then I, the Jamestown was another one that's mm-hmm. just more recently of a cult. But I read this definition, I really liked it. It says, in the Christian context, the definition of a cult is specifically a religious group that denies one or more of the fundamentals of biblical truth. A cult is a group that teaches doctrines that, if believed, would cause a person to remain unsaved. A cult claims to be part of a religion yet denies essential truths of that religion. Therefore, a cult, Christian cult will deny one or more of the fundamental truths of Christianity while still claiming to be Christian. You're telling me you had that the whole time and let me ramble? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I really like that definition because it does, I think we, we were even trying to define it as how the world would define a cult, but I do think if we put it in the biblical perspective, it is anything that does fundamentally take you away from having a relationship with Christ. Which, 
again, testing the spirits because there are a lot of going back to leaders and it's it's a tricky thing when you're getting into what are people actually teaching. And I know I'm not going to name names, but we have several conversations about some well-known people who have big churches or different things that are going on. And there's a lot of support there. There's a lot of stuff, but it's just when you really need to pay attention to what's being said. And like I was saying, that what's going to lead people away from God or away from Christ and just the dangerous thing that's going on. I think we're moving away from it, but celebrity Christianity, I think is pretty dangerous because if you're in a church with a really well-known pastor and a lot of your faith is built upon that, if that dude messes up, all of a sudden your relationship with God is screwed up. And it's like, hold on, Mm -hmm. your relationship with God should be at the point to where you're praying for that guy. Or maybe you have the discernment of spirit that you're talking with him before things. Like, you know, it should be operating in a different way because I don't think anybody is built to be able to handle that kind of that kind of stuff. Or not anybody, but few. I, I saw something, and it was interesting to go with your point about, like, the leader. Because there are a lot of charismatic people that will come into the, the pulpit or to a stage to talk to people. And that's the, the charisma of that individual is what will lead other people to whatever path that, that they go to. And people do fall in love with certain pastors because of their charisma. And I, I saw a video talking about a well-known pastor. And the guy said in the video, you know, because he was more about like, is he a false teacher? Kind of talking about some of the stuff he said. And he said, one of the things that really throws me off is that you can tell that this pastor has got a great physique, but he wears very tight shirts all the time. And when he motions with his arms and his body, you can see him flexing. And what that does tells me is that he is drawing attention to himself by showing off his physique rather than the word of God. That's where I think, again, we're talking about test of spirit. Look at individuals and what they're doing and how they're presenting themselves. Because if that's the motive of the, of the teacher is like, look at my muscles, then he is essentially saying, look at me and not look at God. And for cults, that's what they'll do. They'll get you to focus in on them. And then once you're focusing on them and your word, their words are, are doctrine, then they've got you and then they can do whatever they want. All right. Yeah, I know that we've kind of taken it to the point of talking about pastors on different stuff, but I think that that's even where we're warned that, you know, different teachers will come in like wolves in sheep's clothing. And so, so to be aware of that, because for a lot of people that are kind of seeking within the Christian realm, we can re- easily spot stuff that's like pretty uh, like out there. But to be able to come in and recognize them, that was a pretty subtle thing. thing. And when it comes to even psychology is that pretty much everybody is more apt to listen to somebody who's good looking. You way overestimate that they're good at everything and they're everything just because they look good. And that's just how we work in our functioning. So it's like we need to be aware of ourselves that, hey, like what am I paying attention to here? But I do want to go the other way and just say, just like we're talking about denominations, there's a ton of denominations that we kind of need to accept some differences and stuff. Man, you hop on YouTube. There are these heretic hunters that every single person is a false teacher. And because they'll find one clip somewhere, they'll find this or they'll find that, or they just don't like them because they're not accepting the denominational stuff. And I was like, we shouldn't be doing that. Like, yeah, we need to be able to recognize where there's danger and to be able to do that. But at the same time, like, that's not what this thing is about. And I've seen a lot of really, and because of their notoriety, they just get this stuff happening all the time. But several pastors are just like, really? Like, we're dealing with this with this guy. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if you were to go and listen to any of my, and that's the thing too, I said stuff 10 years ago that I probably don't agree with today. Yeah. That if you were to come and talk with me, I'd probably agree with you. And 
I'm maturing and we're growing in our spiritual maturity and all this stuff. So it's like, oh, well, so somebody shouldn't have let you preaching 10 years ago then. It's like, guy, <laughs> are, are we working together? Are, like, are, are you trying to ban me from pulpits from forever? Because I'm, I'm trying to work in the kingdom and, you know, and I'm doing my best to avoid. And if you want to come and say, hey, I noticed something going on that seems not right with the teaching. Cool. Let's build each other up. Let's make corrections. But there's just a whole world of people trying to tear people down. And I think that that's the line that we also have to have because there's a there's some fringe Christianity that is also just obsessed with tearing people down and all of these false teachers and all the stuff. It's like for as much as you watch those YouTube videos, please read your Bible. It, it comes, boils down to discernment and wisdom, I think, yeah. for the for both denominations and cults. Not to say they're the same thing, but <laughs> uh, when we when it comes down to it all, always use discernment and wisdom. And if you're not in your word, even going into the, the question earlier about the Old Testament versus New, if you're not in your word, you're not going to know the difference between truth and false. Uh, because you don't know the word, you don't, the authenticity and the, the realness it just you, you couldn't see the difference of a counterfeit. I'm just going to also say knowing your word takes a long time. Yep. I still open stuff up and go, what? What? Right. So I don't know. I especially know opening up the Old Testament. There's a lot of just like, hey, read through it. It's OK to not understand everything the first time. You can dig into certain stuff if the spirit's kind of leading you away. But just be reading it because as you read it more and more, it'll tie together. All right. Uh, let's get into the next one. Uh, we'll combine these ones. Uh, the rapture. Pre, mid, post tribulations. Which one is the right one? Which one is the right one? The one that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've looked through a lot of this. I really think that within the realm of looking at the last things, right, just kind of eschatology and what happens at the end. I know that it's important to be aware of. Uh, I kind of have done some pretty deep studies in the past, and then just kind of went. Eh, I just need to be concerned with being obedient today. Yeah. Like, no matter what happens, it doesn't, like, whatever I fall as far as tribulation and all this stuff, I need to be obedient today. And honestly, there's a lot of anxieties and fears and stuff came in when I focused so much on that stuff that I've kind of just scaled it back a bit. I still like to be aware of what's going on, and especially today. <laughs> when I looked at some pastors maybe 10 years ago, kind of really going like, oh, man, end times. I was like, eh. But it really seems like 2020, 2021, I'm like, okay, let me get back into this a little bit. But yeah, are you asking where I land, what's the right one? I liked your answer. I really did. Whichever one that happens. Because I, I think we, again, these, these are, to me, it's a secondary issue that we kind of get too obsessed about, that we kind of focus too much on. And I really liked your answer of like, if I, when you said, um, I'd rather just obey for today. Like, that's the important thing is obeying what God has called me to today. Because if we look at it, so the pre-tribulation is that before the rapture and all the bad stuff that happens that we read in Revelations, that Jesus is going to come back and take his church. Post would be in the middle of it, he does it, or uh, the end of it, and then mid would be in the middle, he does it, and post, like I said, the very tail end of it all, that we live through it, that the church lives through it all. And there's scripture that backs up probably all three of them, and people can make a good case for all three. But is that my focus, I guess, is my concern. And when I look at this question and when I've even put this into my life, the end times have, they started, I believe, the moment Jesus went up. So we've been living through the end times. My job here isn't to get so caught up in what the end times and am I going to escape all the bad? I mean, Jesus says, be aware of things. Yeah. But is that your job? Yeah, my job is what he left us. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. So if I know what my job is, I just got to focus in on doing my job and not get caught up in the other things. And I don't want to make light of it because when people do look at Revelation and they read it, they I believe a lot of people see it as this scary thing and the tribulations and all that to be scary. And there are things in there that are very scary when you read them, but it is a book of love. At the end of it, when you read it, it is the book of love of Jesus and God bringing all things together into the completeness of what the original intention and design was. It is the fulfillment of everything that Jesus had died for and all that. And it is, to me, the, the big, it's dessert. If, if I could put it in any way, it's dessert. It's the, you've had a great meal because you lived a good life following Jesus. And now here's the dessert this sweet, sweet reward of following and, and the, what Paul says, the title of well done, good and faithful servant. So I liked your answer. Uh, for me, which one do I land? Well, of course I want pre because that takes me out of everything. But what if God wants me in the middle of it all? Mm-hmm. What if he wants his church to be standing there and saying, here we are? And what if he wants us to go through the very, to the very end of it? I don't know. Again, there are people who could come in and be like, here's all the reasons. And, and I'll sit here and be like, yeah, that biblically, that's accurate. And you're, you sound very smart. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to escape it. It's just like, yeah. personally, that's where I land when I look at it. And we can uh, put it in the show notes. Oh, man, I forget if it's like three hours or five hours. But Dr. Michael Heiser, he has a, it's on YouTube. And it's just going through just end time stuff. And he basically goes, like, I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm going to walk you through the different systems because well, I'm going to tell you this up front. Every system cheats. And I want you to be aware that if you're going to go this path, what implications that means for other ways that you're thinking. And just to be aware that these are the different ways of understanding these things. So if like you're really pushing, like, is it pre? Is it post? Is it mid? What is it? Take three to five hours and, and watch this thing and really learn. Because I did that and it was very insightful because he's a very meticulous scholar that can mm-hmm. break the things down. So I really like that. So we'll put it in the show notes, but it really comes down to, and I've, I've kind of come to that, is every system cheats. Uh, but also going with what you said, what if God wants us to stay in? And I see that throughout everything, when I read the Bible, if I don't try and bring it into like, oh, it's this idea of the rapture. God's people always went through everything. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. He always had his remnant that stayed faithful. But like when judgment came or when different things happened and the different nations and all this stuff, like God's people were right there. I know that Jesus says at the time, like, hey, if this is happening, flee to the mountains. And like, that's that. And yeah, obviously save your life. And you know, you don't want to be in the middle of destruction, eye of the cyclone. But like you said, the, the part of me that wants to have my cake and eat it too and have everything be nice on my side. Yeah, pre-trib, like, let's go for that. I've heard other people say, well, you might go through some of the judgment, but when it comes down to God's wrath, that's when he'll take people out. This, the second part of, you know, the tribulation when his wrath pours down. Like maybe God's people go through some of the early stuff, but he wouldn't pour out his wrath on his people. Then there's people to say the last. And then also the thing that's not in the question is preterism, which is just, hey, a lot of this stuff happened in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff when Matthew or when it's talking about in Matthew or in the book of Revelation, when you tie it up and you do different things, a lot of the stuff happened back then. There might still be things that could be repetition for a future day or whatever. But for the most part, it's looking at back then and. I see that there is a lot of stuff that happened back in 70. Does that mean that it couldn't happen in the future? No, because prophecy in the Bible shows us, hey, it can happen once, but then it can happen again in, in a different fulfillment. So I like that you brought that up, The like even if we were called to like live through it, that 
God can make distinctions between his people and not his people. And that's what Hinduism in the revelation is like, cool, everybody else is in the darkness. God's people are in the light. It, yeah, I really like that. And I thought of the the Israelites in Egypt and when they went mm-hmm. through the plagues, right? At, at first, it was like hitting everybody. And then you started reading where God made distinctions between his people's flock or house or home. And nothing would happen to them, but everything would happen to the Egyptians. So that that also could be the case but again I, I i just believe that the the end times has been and tribulation and rapture has been created to be like a very scary thing growing up in the church it in, especially in the time i did from 80s to 90s it was kind of created as a scare tactic to lead people into heaven so there was those videos uh left behind the mark of the beast the prodigal son they were very old in the 70s and they were made, but they, it was a rapture story of what would happen when the, when the rapture happened and people who weren't saved were left here. And they would show it at churches to scare people to come to Christ. And, and I, I just, I kind of got to believe that when, when John was writing this and seeing this, it wasn't to scare people. It was to show people God's true grace and love. When you say that? and people read through Revelation, and there is a lot of just crazy stuff going on in there, it sounds like, oh, you're some twisted Christian because you think all of that is God's mm-hmm. grace and love. And then it's like, so that's why the Old Testament is okay to you because like all this right. stuff. And, but it is the wrong view of throughout the Old Testament, far more. God is loving. He's gracious. He's forgiving. It's all of those things. And it's almost like God can't win at times because it's just like, we want God to be ever loving, ever graceful, or whatever. But he should really do something about this evil and the sin. And then if he ever does anything about the evil and the sin, well, look at this wicked God who does things against evil, yeah. like against people. Like they're no longer, like, you know, just like if, if you're an ever loving, like, why would you ever do that thing? So it's in the Old Testament. And then we can get it in Revelation as well to be like, yeah, we're like, how, again, in my dream of dreams, there's like everybody would hear the gospel and would understand and would willingly repent of all of their sins and things wouldn't get worse and people would stop killing each other and stop starving each other and greed and corruption would go away. was like, I would love for that to be the reality, but I don't know, scripture kind of lays out that that's not where it is, that evil will grow to such a point and maybe faith will decline to such a point to where time to wrap it up. Yeah. And I don't like thinking about it, but it's like, yeah, okay, it's... Reality is different than my hope sometimes. So there we go. We didn't answer specifically, but we gave an answer on the question. And, and I, I like the, where we came to the conclusion on that one. This is Read from YCF Kids News with another episode of Read on the Street to see what podcasts people are listening to. Excuse me, sir. Do you listen to podcasts? Yes, I do. In fact, I host my own podcast. You do? What's your podcast name? It's Your Church Friends. Where can they listen to your podcast? It's available on all your favorite podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Podbeam. Also, if people want, they can come visit our website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. We have all our episodes up there for people to listen to. A link for our online shop with t-shirts, mugs, and other accessories if you feel like supporting us. Our latest YouTube videos where you can like, subscribe, and share our videos. And a link to join our Facebook group page to get all the latest updates on what's going on with our podcast. Well, thank you for your time. Oh, also you can listen to our podcast on our YouTube channel. And please buy a shirt if you can. Okay, that's Oh, buy a shirt. Buy a shirt.
yourchurchfriends.rocks, because we rocks. Get out of here. Ugh. All right, for YCF Kids News, I'm Ree, and this was Read on the Street. Let's rapid fire through some of these. Why doesn't the Holy Spirit have a name? Like Fred? Yeah, like Fred, <laughs> Ted, Ned. I don't know, I was kind of caught off guard by this one. It's the Holy Spirit, the set of I thought the Holy Spirit was his name, so or <laughs> its name, however you want to categorize. But Holy Spirit, that's a name. I, I guess I would want to talk with this person. So whoever sent it in, like, what were you, what was the context with yeah. this? What were we looking for? Because I know that we can look at, oh, God, but technically if you look at it, Yahweh, right? And looking and all that, and then you have Jesus. And then some people want to go, well, Jesus is Greek, Jesus. And then that would have been Hebrew, Yeshua. And it's like, okay, but like, what, why? Yeah. Holy Spirit. Uh, I think that's a good enough name. I'll let you take this one. Why do Catholics have a Middle Testament in their Bible? All right. So that comes down to, basically, there were writings. It was the extra, what, seven books, I think. Mm -hmm. And... There were writings that came through. A lot of them were history, maybe, like Jewish history. There's some other stuff. I mean, it's really good to read. And you have First and Second Maccabees. You have Sirach. You have the Wisdom of Solomon. Like, there's stuff in there that when you read it, it really informs what's going on there. I believe it's when it comes to the Reformation. Again, the way that they were looking at it is, hey, the Jewish people themselves don't have this in their Hebrew Bible. So we're not going to have it in our Old Testament. It was kind of basing it off, hey, if, if the Jews aren't doing this thing, why would we do this thing? Mm. So that's where they cut it. But even the original King James Bible that they were using, it did have it in there. But then gradually it just got cut off. But it was the early church accepted in and there was writings there. Which again, I think that they're good to read. Because even if you don't want to accept them as scripture, they are things that the people who wrote the Bible were reading. And you can even see that with First Enoch in the book of Jude. Jude says that Enoch prophesied and quoted the book of Enoch. So I'm not saying that Enoch is scripture, but Jude and the other guys were reading it. So it's good to like be part of the same culture that they were in order to understand. But why did it get cut out? Basically, Reformation, they went, hey, the Jews aren't using it. We're not going to use it. I like that. To go back and read it for historical reasons, to know what was going on during kind of, uh, what's it, the 300 years of silence in between the Old and the New Testament. So... And some of that does help define what was going on and what was happening. Next one is Catholicism and Christianity the same? Or yet? Oh, boy. Uh, no. Oh, huh, okay. And this I, is how, you, how we know when it's a live show. Or yeah, <laughs> we didn't go over any of this beforehand. And here's why. Uh, the prayers to the saints and to the virgin and all that other stuff, and even to call Mary still a virgin is not biblical because she had other kids which then tells me she is not a virgin uh, but to pray to the saints and some of their traditionalism that they incorporated with it do we have some very similar beliefs yes but i don't believe they're the same thing and here's here's why i also get to that point because i'm at this place too in my life where uh, i kind of don't even even like the term christianity or calling myself a christian I would prefer to call myself just a disciple. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there, to me, there's a difference because I could be a Christian and also not get into heaven. I could be a Catholic and get into heaven. You know, if I'm just being a disciple of God or and a disciple of Jesus, then that's what it is. I think the word disciple in the New Testament is said 269 times, and the word Christian is said three times. So if, what that tells me is a disciple sits and listens and follows to the teaching of 
the teacher. And then through that, I live my life in that way. So yes, and so I'm not saying that uh, if you're a Catholic, you're going to hell or you don't have a real relationship with God. I believe you can be and you can have a real relationship with God if you're being a disciple of Jesus. Just in the same vein, I don't feel like just because you show up to church on a Sunday morning that that means you're getting into heaven. You know, if you're not being a disciple of Jesus, you're not, you're not obeying him. And uh, I, I heard someone say this before. Um, when you get to heaven, there will be three things or a few things. Uh, you'll be surprised on who's three. Yeah, here it is. You'll be surprised on who is in heaven. You'll be surprised who's not in heaven. And then you'll be surprised that you're in heaven. So those are the three surprises when you get to heaven. And yeah, that's kind of where I land with it. I, I don't see them as the same thing because of differences in practices. But again, it would be like, are Baptists and Pentecostal the same thing? No, they're not because of different practices. Yeah. And looking at, did you grow up Catholic? No. Have no. you studied Catholicism? Uh, briefly, not much. Right. So even going back to that denominational thing of like, hey, go and understand the thing, right? Because there is a thing like, oh, praying to the saints and that the saints are a thing and like you shouldn't pray to saints and stuff. And I more so know it from Orthodox, not Catholicism. But when you're looking at veneration of a saint versus worship, and there's a difference in what venerating is and just some of that stuff. And not fully that I agree with it, but more to understand where people are coming from. Because even the stuff of like having icons and stuff like, oh, you're not supposed to have any images. But like when you're venerating an icon and things that go on there, I've, I've learned a lot more and been able to go, ah, I can see why you do that. Just kind of like Baptist churches don't really follow any liturgy, at least the Baptist churches we're in. But to follow the liturgy and to follow the Christian calendar throughout the year and to have those different things, when you truly understand them, it's like, ah, that's something that I'm missing. But I kind of come to the same thing for me from what my reading of the scripture is, is that Catholicism introduces a lot of things that, again, from my understanding, would probably detract more from somebody becoming a disciple. Or I don't know. It's not that they're barriers, because I know, just like you said, there are people within the Catholic Church who are disciples of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And they're on it, and they're reading, and they're following, and they're doing the thing. And they also have the other stuff going on around them. So... Are they different? Yes, they are different. Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice, right? They'll know my voice and they hear my voice and they'll follow me. And I think that he's pulling people from everywhere. I would want to understand things better because I think there's stuff within every denomination. They go, I like it. I don't like it. I like it. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. And for me, Catholicism is one of those that there's stuff in there that go, oh, this actually goes back a long way. And you have a lot there that is pretty cool. Also, I'm not going to touch the other stuff personally. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I kind of def I looked at the question. I wanted to answer it for what it was. Are they the same? No, they are two separate mm -hmm. things and separate in what they do. But going into a more or a more of a deep answer to it is that could Catholics go to heaven? Yes, uh, as long as we're all disciples. And, and even in that, like like I said, Christianity. It's not that it's become like a bad word in my in my mind, but it is almost like. I want to be a disciple. Like, if I'm going to personally mm -hmm. put it into practice, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to obey what he's commanded and, and taught more than I would rather uh, label myself an organization. And that's the thing. I think that me and you agree on it. I'm guaranteed because I know people that would just go, no, look, those two things are different. You can't bring them together. And you just can't. And you just can't. It's like, okay, that's where you're mm -hmm. at. And I don't know. Yeah. All right, I next, just know where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah, next one. I'll take this. 
How do we pray for non-believers? What promises can God? Uh, what promises of God can we pray for them? And so, when I think of praying for non-believers in my life, I pray that God somehow interjects Himself into their life. I pray that maybe not if it's not me, but someone else can get in there and show the light of God to them and can awaken whatever they're at. And the promises, when I look at that, I, what promises can I pray for them is the promise of salvation and the promise of Jesus to be in their life. And, and so those are the things that, that God would work on the heart, maybe even soften the heart and, and get it ready for whatever encounter they need. But also praying that God's time and, and that he's gracious that would give them time to come to know him. Those basic things, I, I, those, that's what I would pray for people. Yeah, I don't think I have really anything to add to that. Because I know that God is always seeking, right? Mm-hmm. And so thanking God, like that's one of the things. This is, I, I, I think that I never thought about it before, but I kind of had the thing of like, oh, I'm praying because God almost like forgot. So I'm like trying to remind him. So I'm, hey, God, thank you for loving this person. Thank you for pursuing them. I'm just coming because I love this person too. And just from the conviction of my heart and just breaking my heart, I want them to know you. So whatever circumstances they're in, that you bring their way. I just pray that you bring the right people at the right time. I'm praying that for just for workers to go into the harvest, right? There's for my Christian brothers and sisters, whether they're at my church or not, that they would be encouraged to, to share the gospel and to have that. Again, plant the seed, water the seed, and then to prepare my heart that I would be discerning of a situation that it, if you need me to act, mm. you know, whether it's in word or in deed, that I wouldn't miss it. I like those. Yeah. I like the thank you part. I think that that could be missed. All right. Thoughts on message version of the Bible versus your more traditional ones, new, uh, the NLT, the NIV, the King James, New American Standard, ESV, and so forth. That's a lot, that's a lot of letters. <laughs> um, those are. I personally used to probably make fun of the message, but I like the message. I, it wouldn't be my primary Bible, but I like it. Uh, it's not my main thing that I read, but I think that I've shared on the podcast before. I really like the message for audio Bible. I throw it on and it's just like a friend who's talking to me, but this friend really knows scripture. So I like it. There's definitely things where I pick it apart and go, huh, that's an interesting thing you did there. But I have other tools at my disposal, so I'm not too harsh. I know what it is and I just take it for what it is and enjoy it. Yeah, I, I kind of see it the same way and I probably fall into the same category as everything where like I'm I'm not going to say I probably I did make fun of it, but it's so hard sometimes not to when you read it in the way uh, it was kind of translated down. Like I think Genesis one is, you know, we have in the beginning God created and in the message it's first this. And for some odd reason, I just like, <laughs> yo, check this out, homeboy. Like that's what comes into my head when I hear first this. So, uh, yeah, there there are moments where I did make fun of it. But as I've grown, and I think even more with you, you told me, um, listen to James on the message. Mm -hmm. And so I did that for like a whole week on driving on my way to work. And it was just really good to hear. Like you said, it is like just a friend talking to you about things. And there were things I picked up that I didn't before. But when it comes to all translations of the Bible, uh, like for me, I I would say I'm an NIV guy. Like that's what I like to read. Recently, I've gotten more into the Berean one that you, you have. And I really like how it words things or even how it puts like, here's reference references that you can look for in, at the top of a chapter instead of like on the little side margin things. But I use them almost all in the sense of if I'm reading something and I don't fully get it in the NIV, I go to the NLT or I'll even go to the message to see, oh, oh okay, that's what it means. Or even sometimes go up to like the New King James just to see 
how it was worded there. Because to me, when I read the Bible, words are important, how things are phrased. And I, uh, that's how I use them. I use them all for what, what they're for, intended for, study. Yeah. And I hope, I know we're trying to rapid fire through these. The Bible that you read is the best Bible. Yes. I think that being aware, I mean, I would honestly say if you go through the message, if that's your first Bible, your only Bible, read through it and use it for a bit, but then graduate to something that's, you know, once you kind of go, oh, I know that this is talking about, and then you can refine it. Um, although I would say you can get the um, CEB or the NLT. Those are both really easy to read. I think CEB is Common English Bible. I really like that one as far as as far as those go. But yeah, if you're reading it, if you're studying it, that's what's important. Yeah. All right. Ways to evangelize to the new generation full of technology and social media without seeming out of touch. And I can just say the church has seemed out of touch even before technology and social media. I think when I look at the church in a lot of sense, we're about a generation. So probably about like 10 years behind what modern culture is at when it comes to utilizing certain things and this and that. But how ways to reach them without seeming out of touch i think honestly just being a christian like being a christian to the people around you being a a a person who is obeying god and following them because personal interaction nothing trumps it nothing is better than someone having a personal interaction with with believers jesus left us here and he didn't say hey by the way i'm going to give you insta and tiktok so you could help save people he said i'm leaving you here to be me here to go into the darkness and expose it and bring in the light but i'm leaving you here so how do we do it without staying out of touch personal interaction nothing will ever be better than that yeah I'm, i'm with you on that technology is definitely a really good tool when it's done well it's amazing and i benefit from it when it becomes the focus then the focus is no longer christ then all of a sudden you can have something really trendy that isn't actually fulfilling the purpose so i think that to kind of guideline within that i mean i'm i'm on tiktok i know you don't have it but dude there's so much good christian content on Mm -hmm. tiktok of people explaining things good doing little skits doing all kinds of stuff to where it's just like i really enjoy it and those are just people literally hopping on recording themselves doing a thing then there's stuff like the Bible Project does an amazing job with illustrating and breaking down some pretty deep scholarly type stuff and like putting it out before you. So there are definitely things that can be done well and for different purposes of, of understanding and for reaching out. But yeah, as far as I think the question was talking about for evangelizing to the new generation, honestly, how you said the church is a generation behind the new generation. They're the ones that are just like, oh, we're moving from Facebook to Instagram because we don't want to be here with you. Oh, we're moving from Instagram to Snapchat because we don't want to be here with you. We're moving to mm-hmm. TikTok. We don't want to be here with you. So I really also like, all right, as a church, be the church. Like you said, live it out. And I think that genuineness and obedience and all of the things that we can be and should be will stand out in the world. We don't need crazy marketing stuff. I mean, it can help if they you know, get the word out. But when somebody has that personal interaction through however it comes through and there's something genuine it, it doesn't matter what platform it comes from mm-hmm. but to even ring it bring it back in a bit before really worrying about oh how do i blow up on anything and like really get the message out look at your immediately sphere of influence look at who lives next to you those things do not require technology so if you're looking at evangelizing that is highly effective yeah i saw my dad transform his neighborhood 
by just going and talking to his neighbors. Like it has not been the same. It's an amazing thing happened there just because he went and talked to his neighbors and got to know him and brought the gospel to him. So, yeah. When I think of it too, I think like, is a beautiful big building what gets people saved? Do people get saved because they walk into a beautiful big building that has all modern fixings, a coffee place and a library and looks super trendy? Or is it the gospel that that speaker presents? We can use the tools, but the tools don't outweigh the message. And that's the same thing for me with technology and everything. It's a tool, and it's a great tool. We're using the tool. We're on a platform. We're doing the thing, right? But it doesn't trump the message. So uh, last question then. We made it through. We got through. This one's a little bit longer of a show, but... We got through to the, all the questions that people gave us. I was really like, cool, we're going to a part three. And you're like, rapid fire. I was like, I don't know if I can rapid fire. <laughs> we <Chris>. rapid fired. <laughs> we did. How do you deal with the blah season of faith? There are so many reasons for blah. It can be sin. It can be disappointment. It can be not knowing what's coming next and feeling like you're not hearing from God. It can be just a hard circumstance personally or somebody else is going through something. There's just so many different, and I only listed a few, but it goes so much farther beyond that. But how do you deal with it? Think of it as just to really keep the relationship with Christ at the forefront, that, but really the relationship with Christ. Because when it becomes, oh, I got to get out of this and get back into reading my Bible, or I really got to get into my prayer, or I really, you know, involved in a new ministry or whatever's going, and just like, yeah, if there's areas that you should be involved in or things that you've slacked off on, like if you've stopped reading your Bible and stopped praying, you're in a blah period. Like you just are. So yeah, you need to integrate those things. But probably you fell away from doing those things because the relationship with Christ started to come away. And to really look at that inner relationship of just that brings the joy that brings the peace that brings the motivation that brings all of the things that's worthwhile it's god so 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 loves me even here even now even right now for whatever reason i'm here right now god i need to know that you love me god i I just and it, it, it can take some time and working through like sometimes i've come to that spot and god just really pierces through and it's just like cool other times it's, all right, I, I just need to keep seeking. And it's a gradual thing. But it's always been returning to my first love. It's always been that. that. Actually, I brought that verse up in Revelation chapter 2 when he's talking to the church of Ephesus. And we have the book of Ephesians where Paul is talking about them in a, in a good way. And then you get to this point where he writes, John writes, from the words of Jesus, but I have this against you, you have abandoned your first love. Therefore, keep in mind how far you have fallen, repent and perform the deeds you did at first. But if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And even when you get before that, he's saying like, I know your deeds, I know your labor and your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate those who are of evil and you've tested and exposed as liars those who have falsely came to be apostles. And you do this without growing weary. You have persevered and endured many things for the sake of my name. And it's almost like, to me, the blah seasons are like, they, they don't necessarily mean that I always pull away. I could still be doing it. And mm-hmm. personally, for my own life, like I, I went through a blah experience where I was still doing, but what he was, what, what Jesus gets into this is you have abandoned your first love. And, and like you were saying, what gets me out of those is I have to go back to remembering why I fell in love with God to begin with. I ha- and that was the answer for me. When I went through my blah, what brought me back was I've got to fall in love with God again. 
And, and by whatever means that is, whether it's listening to someone preach, whether it was reading my Bible, whether it was praying or just listening to worship music again and enjoying it and being consumed by it, I had to go back. And, and it was actually, for me, worship music. Reading my Bible, it wasn't penetrating. Mm -hmm. Listening to a message, it wasn't penetrating. Trying to sing a song in, in certain words of songs would break me. Even to today, where if we're singing a song and it, there's certain wording to it, I have to, like, I, I'm like, I'm going to stop singing. If I don't, I'm going to start crying. Yeah. Because that emotional love came through of like, man, uh, we, on Wednesday, they sang, um, gosh, I can't remember the name of the song, Inside Out by Hillsong. And the, the opening is, a thousand times I failed, yet your mercy remains. Mm -hmm. I struggle with that so much because I am constantly saying, a thousand times I failed, but your mercy remains. Yeah. And that helps me because what gets me then starting to move and shift out of the blah is putting my eyes back on God, his goodness, how good he is to me, how faithful he has been to me, and that his mercies have remained. Even when I struggle, even when I suck as a person, his mercy is always the same. And, and that has helped me. I, again, like you said, there's so many reasons why we could go through a blog, death of someone, uh, going, getting sick. Spiritual attacks. Spiritual attacks. There's so many things that could hit us. Finding your way out of it, though, has to be getting your eyes back on Jesus. Again, it, so for some people, it could be like I cracked open my Bible again and I just fell in love with God. Or I heard someone preach something and it just triggered all the emotions. Yeah, and it's a different thing what you get from it, mm -hmm. too. And that's just coming in the trust that, Jesus, I am in a horrible spot. I need you, and I know that I need you because nothing else is doing it. Yeah. And I need you and you alone, so whatever it is that you want to do. So I think that the submitting there and what you read in Revelation is like you've gotten away from your first love, but also you need to repent and to come back and to do that, right? But it starts with the love and that Jesus will let you know. He's a great physician, right? Mm -hmm. And he'll give you the word. I was like, hey, you know what? It's really been a thing that you need to stand in victory and like get up off your butt and you're good. Or it can be a thing of just like that was hard and life is hard and Jesus, he was a man of sorrows and he knows. And just like, you know, there's completely different things in what we need in the time. I really like that too, that you brought up. He's a great physician. He knows how to diagnose us. He knows what medicine to give us. And even going back to what I was talking about, like for me, it was worship. But for someone else, it could be reading the Bible. For someone else, it could actually be a secular worldly movie that they're watching. And Jesus is like, this I'm going to use to capture your heart again, because you're going to see something in there and it's going to remind you of me and you're going to just fall in love. And so I think he can use all things and anything. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with this season? Look for Christ. Look for God in everything. To do something different, I just feel like when you're kind of stuck in a rut, you're doing the same mm -hmm. things and what penetrates you is like just, even if it's not in the realm of this, hey, when was the last time you went to a park or went on a hike or yeah. did something? Like just get out and break the monotony of blah. Because there needs like that really helps me. I I go out and I go on hikes and I'll do stuff and it just just the difference of everything puts me in a mode of just like there's something new and it's really helpful. And that's a good point too because when when they talk about like weight loss, you like hit plateaus where you just can't drop any more weight. And what they generally say what will get you out of that is by doing a different exercise and changing your routine. It's kind of the blah of weight loss. And if you're gonna do the same thing, your body's at this point saying no, we're used to this. We're not going to react anymore. And when you start changing up your workout routine by doing, instead of just running like a mile, you're now doing sprints or you start incorporating uh, squats or something like that, just changing it up, 
your body starts reacting differently to it and, and it kind of kicks it back into gear into losing weight. All right, the one thing that I really wanted to add in about getting out of the ball, I know that we're saying seek Jesus and really let him penetrate and have that. But the thing that I feel like I learned way too late is just go and find somebody that you can be honest with and open up with about this, that that person will be praying alongside with you, that there's accountability there, that they check up and will be able to go through this journey with you. Because going through blah seasons alone is hard. See, I don't know. Hopefully there's somebody there, but if not, it's an opportunity to maybe branch out for the first time and find somebody to help bear the burden. So we're done. No more Q's, which means we have no more A's. And we we want, this is a longer episode, so thanks for sticking through and listening to all of it. But we did want to be respectful to everyone and try our best to answer all the questions that we had. So we we hope you guys enjoyed that. And we did talk a little bit about where we were at during the break. But we got next season starting up villains of the bible we're excited about that we got some cool guests we're going to come on and share their perspective we're going to talk about some characters in the bible that you may not even think were villains and we're going to also talk about the ones that you know pretty much are villains and 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 we're going to do that but let's wrap this one up i am chris i'm your we're your church friends thanks for listening